Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm your host, Mark Yakino. I'm a managing director with Major Lindsay in Africa in its Transform Advisory Services practice. Uh, Major Lindsay in Africa is the host of this podcast, and my very special guest today is a favorite friend of mine, Angela Hahn. Angela is a lawyer and a life coach, and she has been driving an enormous amount of conversation about wellness, work-life balance, uh, self-care on LinkedIn and other mediums, and I am delighted to have her as my guest Angela, would you care to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Hi, my name is Angela Hunt. Um, I mean, I think you said everything. I am in the East Coast. I am in the, I'm in the state of Maryland and near the DC and Baltimore area. And I am, I don't, I don't think there's anything else that comes to mind. I just really miss the ocean. <laughs> wow. Yeah, don't we all? Um, (laughs) the ocean has its own way of providing self-care by just soothing sounds. Well, our topic today is burnout. You know, Angela, I was having a conversation recently with someone and we were talking about our respective definitions of burnout. And I described mine as that period where working or life feels like the air is so heavy you can see it. And it just takes so much effort to move forward. Mm-hmm. What's your definition of burnout? I think burnout is like you are living, but you feel dead inside. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a much more aggressive definition than heavy yeah. air. Yeah. Um, can you can you share? And I know you have shared your experience with burnout in the past. Mm-hmm. So my, my personal experience with burnout. Yeah. If you so, don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like there are four different types of burnout. Um, because I think a lot of the times we think that burnout is just like working ourselves to our, ourselves to capacity and then, um, feeling like we can't go on. But I think that it's it's not necessarily just the amount of workload it can also be like toxic environment it could be a toxic mindset or whatever it is um simply based on the conditioning that we've been subjected to and so the four different types are involuntary overworking involuntary underworking and voluntary overworking and voluntary underworking and so i think that like it's kind of like a little grid you either voluntarily or involuntarily are overworking or underworking, which basically means that whether it is under your control or not, you are working at a capacity that is not aligned with what you are meant to, um, what you're meant to do. And so it's kind of like always either kind of flowing, like overflowing or not really getting to the potential that you're always, uh, that, that, that feels right for you. So in some respects, you can work at an unsustainable pace and in some respects, you can work at a pace which isn't sustainable in the sense that it gives you fuel and enthusiasm to work to your potential. Yeah, exactly. And so can you talk about the other two types of burnout 
involuntary overwork, voluntary underwork, and then can you just go back through the other two? Yeah, so so voluntary overworking is kind of like you're, even though things are not urgent, you're, you're working past time or past capacity because you feel like it's almost like distracting yourself with other things that are burdening you. Um, and voluntary underworking is like, you're just not motivated to do anything. And involuntary overworking is the most common one where you're given so much work that you don't have any breathing room. And then involuntary underworking is when you're not given enough work. And so you feel like you're stuck in your, in your job and you can't really see any growth. It's interesting because I think you've offered a perspective that's so different than a lot of the dialogue, which is around really in the legal profession, how overworked lawyers are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it fascinates me because I don't think we would ever intuitively necessarily think of underworking as leading to burnout. But when it, when it's, if I've heard you correctly, when it stops your progression and ability to achieve your potential, you feel the same way as if you were overworked in terms of just not having that, that energy or that enthusiasm to be happy yeah. at the core. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what are some strategies that you employ and, 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 and you maybe encourage your clients to employ to mitigate, you know, the effects of burnout or perhaps avoid it altogether? Um, I think the first step is simply being in awareness, um, unless you are aware of what the issue is. I mean, this is something that's commonly said, right? Unless you're aware of the problem, you can't fix it. And so I think the first thing is to understand, like, where are you at? Like, are you putting this on yourself? Are you voluntarily overworking or are you involuntarily overworking or underworking? And so is that like a stage one sort of thing you would do with a client is help define exactly what the problem is? Yeah. And so what I was going to say is that most of the time, though, it is a combination of all four of them because we can't always be working on exactly the same, the, exactly the things that we want to work on. We can't be working the exact hours that we want to be working, the exact people we want to be working with. So it's not always perfect. So we are kind of like experiencing all four different types of burnout. And so the first urgent matter is to determine what is taking up the most of your burnout right now. And what are the ways to address that? So in a way, it's like triage. You find the most um, the most most intense contributor burnout. You address that, and that allows you to maybe address the other things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, so once you've addressed the problem, uh, what comes next in terms of helping someone who's been in a, a state of burnout or extreme stress or you know, really driven to the point where they're just in this disconnected sort of mode. What, what's the next step towards, towards strategies that, that, that can help them? Yeah. So a lot of the times when clients or other attorneys, they're talking about how impossible their current situation is. 
um, it's not necessarily completely 100% impossible. Um, there, like if there is like a range of things, if there's a hundred things going on, we feel like all, uh, out of the hundred things, all hundred things are impossible to, to control. But then uh, we kind of look at, we kind of diagnose the situation and like, is it really a whole hundred out of a hundred things that we cannot control? Or are there things that we can control? Most of the times there's at least 50% that we are able to control. And then we look at that. And then um, there are times when there's only like five out of hundred things that you can't control. And those are the times when we start looking at, okay, how can we um, change the circumstances so that we have a broader depth and um, width of control? So there is, a, there is sort of a perspective that, that someone gets where they realize that, well, they may be overwhelmed in actuality the, 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 the source of their feelings are a small percentage of the things that they imagined were causing their, their, their distress. That often people have more control over more things than they think, but that allows you when you get to that place to really focus on the things that are beyond your control and require some more intense kind of work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think coaching is simply um, kind of holding that space for the person who feels so overwhelmed because they've been drowning in all the noise from outside about what they ought to be, what they should be doing, and all the ways that they're, they're not doing well. And so in that space, we talk about how things are actually are going well and how they actually do have control and how all the noise that they're being told that they're not doing well is actually not true. And so we kind of challenge all the beliefs that we've been fed and that shift is the very fundamental step in um, making the changes that we wanna make. I think you've just hit on a really interesting point, which is I've always felt that in order to achieve maximum performance, not just at work, but as a functioning human, you have to figure out how to speak in your own voice. And often it's hard, especially for younger lawyers to know what their voice is. So you made a reference to sort of these external perceptions about what you ought to be. What are some of those kind of myths that, that, that your clients um, uh, have embraced about who and what, how they are, who they are, how they're doing? Can you describe some of those just um, externally imposed limitations of people's perception of, of themselves? Yeah, um, I think some of the obvious ones and the most, I guess, prolific ones are that you have to, um, you have to go to big law. Like it starts early. You have to go to big law. And uh, when you go to big law, you have to work crazy hours in order to make partnership. Um, even if you don't make it into big law, you still have to uh, make a lot of money. And if you want to make a lot of money, you need to work really hard. You need to work harder than everybody else. Um, and there's also the message, not just within the legal industry, but just outside, um, very kind of um, uh, glorifying this hustle mentality and this hustle culture that you cannot uh, be outworked by anybody else. And that is the only way to be successful. Um, and then there's, in terms of being successful, there's only a very limited definition of what success really means. 
And so then, you know, my question always is like, okay, if, if the answer is to not be outworked by anybody else, then why is it that there's so many people who don't really work that much, but are happy? <laughs> and so I think that um, it's always about kind of questioning and getting curious about all of these kind of imposed stories about what we ought to be doing or what we should be doing that is not really true or doesn't align with what really satisfies us. Yeah, and it's interesting because if you, you know, peruse the LinkedIn feedback or you're brave enough to go to the world of Instagram um, or Facebook, you see a lot of people out there who are proposing programs where what you know like before 5 a.m thinking you should wake up before 5 a.m to yeah. get work done for the rest of the world um is ready um and, and things that are really adversative um we're not most of us aren't built to train and work like navy seals most of us need more sleep um, more um more kinder treatment of our bodies and it is fascinating that that you know there's sort of a polarity out there between between coaches you know clinicians advocates who are saying you can be successful and take care of yourself and coaches advocates and quote gurus who say in order to to win at life yeah. which they define largely as making a lot of money and bossing other people around. You have to do the, you have to make sacrifices. You have to miss your kid's birthdays. You have to get up at 5 a.m. You have to um, work harder. And in fact, it was funny because a couple of days ago, I was talking with a former colleague of mine who's a really well-known uh, speaker and um, organizational design coach about when we were young lawyers, he was a little bit ahead of me, a couple of years ahead of me. And, and we talked about leaving the lights on when we left or leaving a jacket draped over our um, chair. You know, so people would think we were still there because we had to manage that perception. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that when we have that uh, hustle culture and hustle um, messaging, we also kind of, um, it's kind of discriminatory towards people who are not in the kind of environment that where that hustling is ideal for them. So like with um, parents, for example, like I, right now I am um, just finishing my first trimester for my second pregnancy and I am deep in the middle of my morning sickness. And so I can't wake up before like eight or nine in the morning. <laughs> I can't wake up at like five or six, like everybody else uh, says we should be doing. And yet I am doing better. Like I'm more satisfied with my career as a lawyer and I'm doing better than ever as a coach. And my podcast is also running in the background. And so it's like, when we, when there is that messaging where you have to do certain things, like where you have to be under certain circumstances is very much discriminatory with other, towards other um, women or men who are in situations where that's just not possible. And so it's almost like when we achieve the success um, by not following those things, it's almost like our success is like not worth it or our success was like cheated or something like that. 
But that's, but that's a fascinating point, really is, because I think what you're saying, and I never looked at it from the lens of it's discriminatory towards the people who can't obtain that mythic hustle status is that what gets overlooked is, are you delivering the work? Are you delivering great work? Are you doing great work? Are you giving clients good advice? Are you guiding people through complicated situations? We sometimes don't look at the outcome because we judge people by the external criteria of what a hardworking, successful person looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also it's not only discriminatory towards um, people like parents, um, but also discriminatory towards people who um, are not parents or who don't have morning sickness or who don't have children. And they feel pressured to wake up at a certain time or work past a certain time. And they simply don't function um, optimally under like that way. So I feel like imposing certain um, ways that we work hard is kind of um, enabling of, of kind of like, I forgot the, it's like, it's, it's kind of like discriminatory against neurodivergent people. Like our brains all operate very differently. And right. so uh, it's kind of like normalizing just one way is to kind of eliminate everybody else who think differently and operate differently. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point is that when we, when we, when we sort of ignore the quality of the work and the efficiency and efficacy of the people delivering the work, we, we force people through a, it's like forcing them through, through a funnel and they, you know, we squeeze them, you know, through that funnel and what we're losing are, you know, that, that diversity of thinking that, that, that spurs creativity. The other thing you mentioned, and it's interesting because I just started reading some articles on that is the, um, is the concept that employers or supervisors will will take an individual who doesn't have a family yet and say oh they don't have a family they don't have family issues they can go to peoria to dig through a warehouse or <coughs> i can call them i can send them an email on a friday night that i need them to come in saturday because they don't have their responsibilities mm-hmm. that's a part of the equation that is finally getting some attention because no one really thought through what the other half of this hustle paradigm can lead to. Yeah. And I understand for um, more experienced attorneys who have been through, who are part of the generation where hustling was the norm. Like I understand maybe their frustration. Well, I worked really hard. So why should I let my uh, associates or my team members um, work less? Like, I feel like that's not fair. And I understand that um, I understand that kind of um, thought process. At the same time, however, I feel like because people are more open about how they operate and how they work and how they work more efficiently, I think right now the focus is not about fairness, but about okay, what is the best outcome for my clients? And in order to do that, we have to respect how everybody is framed, um, how everybody is wired in their brains, and how they best operate. Well, it's interesting because um, 
that perception of I did this, so you should do this to me isn't actually fairness. It's propagating a system that wasn't necessarily sound to begin with. What we've seen in medicine is there used to be that theory that when I was a resident and I worked three, you know, 72 hours straight and then upcoming group of residents needs to have the same experience. But what we found out is, and they started to put limitations on the amount of contiguous hours residents work is after a period of time, the um, likelihood or probability of error based on the lack of sleep and awareness increases. So I think the interesting thing is that those lawyers that still have that belief forget that when they worked that hard, that many hours, there were periods of time where they were basically just wasting air and space because they weren't very effective. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as if they paid those dues and you know those extra hours made them better. It's they pay those dues because the system forced them to but if they really thought about it, they weren't optimally effective working like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, there was a time when we all rode horses and we worked really hard to ride those horses and get the message across the country. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that's a great analogy. But at the same time, like now we are riding cars. And so you wouldn't force people driving cars to, ride horses just because that means that you're working harder and so I think that it's about kind of realizing oh like how great is it that we are able to serve more people and get to places faster because of the way we approach things um, that has that has changed over the years so when someone comes to you and they have a complex sort of work environment where Maybe they're dealing with these historic expectations about what hard work is. Um, Maybe they have a considerable amount of student loan debt. Maybe they have a lot of other things going on. What are some of the strategies um, you give them to navigate this, either to reduce burnout potential or to... um, mitigate the effects that burnout has had on them how do you how do you make them feel better not from a clinical perspective but from a coping mechanism perspective if that makes any sense yeah so most of the time that kind of pressure is more perceived um, because even in our current generation we still are very much aware of the the hustle culture where we have to be working 24 7. And so uh, most of the times it's like their supervisor has never said anything about how like they need to be working harder or like they're deficient or whatever like that. They simply think that their supervisor is not satisfied with their work. And so in those cases, it's about like, okay, really looking at the facts and the reality and um, choosing thoughts that are more accurate. But the times when they have been told that they they are deficient or that they're not working um, enough. And so that's also an opportunity for us to look at reality where, okay, am I actually deficient? Is that person, uh, is what that person is saying actually true? Um, Or am I uh, really doing the best work and that person is being toxic or antagonistic or whatever? And so we kind of assess like what really is true 
And based on the truth, like if that person is being toxic or being antagonistic, is this the environment that I want to be at? Or if um, I am kind of not really performing uh, up to par, then what are the ways that we can create an environment and a system so that I am working hard? Like what are the root causes of me slacking or falling behind so that I can get back to me performing at my best? I think I love the, the, the way you sort of framed it because I think one element of burnout, that one common perception of burnout is that it's solely external forces um, making you miserable. But you, you came back to a really important point in the beginning of your last statement where you talked about the fact that some burnout is because of this narrative it, it, that, you know, that, that's telling us we're inadequate. And, you know, I had a recent guest on Chelsea Castro who, who said, you know, perception, or perception is not fact. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing you're honing in on. Sometimes people have perceptions that aren't fact because no one's ever told them that. The other thing I think is important is, you know, the accountability piece, which is, if you're being told you're underperforming, let's look at it. And maybe you are. Maybe there are things because of a roadblock you put in your head or a skill level you haven't developed where you aren't performing. And that has to be addressed. And then comes the, you know, kind of the other pieces. Maybe you're just in an environment which is not conducive to you performing in an optimal way. Yeah, exactly. I also want to note that um, in terms of perception, we also sort of tend to judge ourselves for perceiving something that is not necessarily accurate. And I also want to kind of empathize with those who, who, who kind of judge themselves or who feel like they are quote unquote being too sensitive or picking up on things um, more than they should or overreacting or whatever because this tends to happen a lot to people who have come from different backgrounds, um, regardless of the color of their skin. I mean, me being an Asian woman who, who grew up in a different country for 18 years before coming here to the US, um, I certainly bring in kind of like my own ways of perceiving things. And so even though we like there is that reality and we um, all have different perceptions of that reality, I also wanna acknowledge that um, oftentimes people who come from cultures that are way more different, like way different from the cultures that they are part of right now, because I mean, the reality is that the, the legal industry has a mainstream culture of that hustle um, culture. And so people who don't really kind of subscribe to that or people who experience things much differently can pick up on things. Like if, if there's a racist comment or a sexist comment, they pick up on things whereas the mainstream culture might not pick up on it. And so that often kind of makes us feel like, oh, we're perceiving too much. We're told that we're perceiving too much. But I also want to acknowledge that, no, they're not perceiving too much. It's just that they come from a different background. And it, that speaks to kind of like the intergenerational trauma, intercultural uh, trauma that, that, that inform the way we perceive things. And that's not necessarily wrong. No, that's fascinating, and I hadn't thought of it from that angle. I've spent a lot of time, you know, working on what are the what are the sort of subconscious narratives 
running in the background of my head and others that, that shape perceptions that aren't true. But I never looked at it from a cultural angle of some of us come from a background where we were shaped in sort of a different perspective in terms of values or in terms of, um, you know, interaction or in terms of um, accomplishment. And, and that's a fascinating point. I mean, and that, that really shows, you know, that when you build a diverse workforce, it's not just about a mosaic, it's about doing the work to make that diverse team work because you have to understand that they come from different perspectives, which is a beautiful thing when you think about it, because yeah. you're getting, you know, from all those different perspectives and cultural narratives, you're getting something truly that's, that's different as opposed to kind of the mainstream culture running on a, on a, like on a continuous loop, you know, on an automated program cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is uncomfortable for those who are part of the automated cycle for people who are not <laughs> part of the automated cycle to come in and question and disrupt what is kind of happening right now. But I think that is kind of the, the, the growing pains um, of, of like we're transitioning just like we transition from horses to cars, we're transitioning from um, that automatic system into being able to cater to a wider uh, group of people. And I think with that intergenerational sort of tension that we have now, we're, we're in a paradigm shift. Um, you know, the demographics and the, um, the, the, the census numbers are going to change. I mean, just because that's the circle of life, to quote yeah. the Lion King, they're going to change. And so I think despite a lot of the polarization we see in the country, we are by, by just natural force of gravity becoming more multicultural because that's kind of, you know, generationally we're more multicultural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it's certainly not without challenges though for people who are trying to function effectively and um, ascertain whether or not they're performing well and ascertain whether or not they're in a, a, a situation that, that allows them to thrive. And I think that's, that's really you know, the challenge. And I think that's probably the challenge you look at as a coach uh, when you're working with, with, with different types of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, because, I mean, I work with both men and women and uh, from different cultures, different countries, and they bring with themselves uh, different stories from, uh, based on how they grew up, how they were conditioned, what kind of families and communities they were part of. And the first step is to acknowledge that those stories exist and kind of looking at the world under the lens of those stories is not necessarily wrong. But it's a question of which stories are serving us right now and which stories are not. And um, even when those stories are not serving us, how does that still make us who we are? And how does that still make us valuable? Because even like we don't want to come from a culture where we pick up on racist and sexist things more easily, but we still do. And it, it is a burden to us. But still, like, how does that make us more valuable and make us kind of um, 
become the voices of others and serve others who are in similar situations. That's um that's a weighty that's a weighty topic, isn't it? Because um perceptions can drive how we think of ourselves, but when our our viewpoint is fundamentally when who we are isn't a perception, it's really we're we're a product of, of our environment and it's what makes all of us special. It's how do you how do you how do you thrive and how do you give voice to others in that environment knowing that you're facing you know that you're facing barriers of entry in a way that are um that are imposed on you you know through prejudice bias a number of different things yeah i think it's been weighty for a lot of us because we another conditioning that we've been subjected to is that we can um, kind of succeed in the current system that we are in by conforming, um, by becoming like everybody else and by not being different. And so I think that that messaging is changing a little bit where, oh, like we, I don't have to change myself to be the same as everybody else. I can be who I am and I don't have to ignore my, like where I grew up or the heritage that I, that, I, that I come from or the language that I speak or whatever it is, I don't have to ignore those things. I don't have to be the same as everybody else. And so I think that when, I, the more we recognize that the differences are not a burden or that the differences are not a weakness, I think the less weighty it becomes for more people. And I think that's one, one of the things that either prevents or it mitigates this feeling of being burnt out is when you get comfortable with yourself and realize that if you try to be someone else, you're going to crash. Mm. I mean, I can, I remember a, a particular job I had where a new chief executive officer came in who was very difficult and had a very different approach to business and people. And in trying to please that executive, I found that I lost my voice. And by mm. losing my voice, I almost lost my sanity, right? Mm. Because trying to trying to speak in this, you know, like a, this ventriloquist voice and not, you know, embracing just who I was as a leader probably weakened the, the perception of how strong a leader I was, but it certainly weakened my self-esteem. Mm. Um, and, and, and that was really a critical, for me, it was a critical turning point because I realized that never again can I not speak in my own voice. Mm. Whatever the consequences are of being who I am, mm -hmm. that's better than the consequences of trying to be someone else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We are, I mean, we're all conditioned, no matter what background or culture that we come from, we are all conditioned to somehow conform. And I think that is a kind of twisted way of, um, a, a, the, it's, it's not the messaging that we were meant to receive. The messaging that we were meant to receive is that, um, like I was saying earlier, that it, it's okay to be different and it's okay, it's actually good to be different. 
because then like you and your situation kind of challenging that status quo where you have to change yourself like when you were challenging that you were able to actually find that oh this is not for me who this is actually who I am um and so it's about kind of getting curious about okay like is this really supposed to be what I'm supposed what I'm doing I think you um have the perfect line as we come to a close it's okay to be yourself and I think that is I hope a message that resonates with our listeners and I hope it resonates with the people we all come in touch with we could talk for hours because neither one of us is bashful when it comes to um, sharing our thoughts on wellness and, and some of the issues facing our profession but I am extremely grateful for you coming on my podcast and I am extraordinarily grateful for the opportunity I had to come on yours and talk about some of the um, issues related to getting and receiving mental health and as it applies to gender and to shed some light on some of the unique challenges that I think males face when, when, when addressing mental health issues. So I'm very grateful for that and I'm extremely grateful to have you today. And um, once again, I think the end, ending line is it's okay to be yourself. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.